0: Welcome back. You're listening to another episode of The Todd Donald Show, a weekly podcast where artists and performers go to chat about nothing. Hosted by Canadian singer-songwriter Todd Donald.
1: Welcome to the show. Happy New Year's Eve. Uh, Look, I'd like to do a year roundup. I think those are juicy. I think everyone should celebrate their lives or creative accounts or business by rounding up the highlights of the year. Uh, it's about celebrating. For some, it's a business or marketing move. But I feel in my heart that it's it's more often than not a, a celebration of life, a reflection, and I, I wish I had the time to properly do that myself. Uh, I posted an Instagram story yesterday. I can't remember what it said because I don't look to see who's seeing it. Uh, but I started off by saying, top nine, I can't pick favorites, which is also my way of saying I'm too lazy to figure out how. Plus, if you want to know my top nine, can't you just enter my handle? Like, isn't that how it works? But listen, the year was 2020. Heard of it? I had merely, from January to March 15th, two and a half months more isolation than the rest of you who aren't in the Arctic. During which I posted the last in-person recorded episodes recorded uh, in late 2019. And by the time... That quarantine started. I in- incidentally ran out of juice, and I didn't want to be strictly editing a podcast if it wasn't Zabos, and sometimes why? Unless I was able to have guests over, which was not going to happen up here. And ultimately, doubly so with the pandemic. So, fuck it. And sometime in May, an angel by the name of Zoom, added to by the fact that people were now home, uh, breathed a new kind of socially distant life into the podcast and the need for connection even if it was only going to be this way was too fucking necessary so emails flowed musicians actors and artists and more from back home um, were people that i could be catching up with and having on the show regardless of distance to boot i could now have people on the show that i would never otherwise have on Uh, not a new concept for podcasts not groundbreaking but new fucking territory for me uh, that's how Milo Axelrod from the state of NY, who does the voiceover for this podcast, finally got to be on. That's how Musketeer Lindsay Alley was on. Game changer for TDS. Sometime in the late summer, on a whim, I started reaching out to the West Coast and the people who make Channel 101 shows. And all of a sudden, holy shit, with that, the community, this thing, this archive of creations that I've been a fan of for the last decade, was now a world of people I was starting to talk to and interact with. It's literally a part of my life now that probably wouldn't have happened if all the prior stuff mentioned didn't happen. So while it sucks spending 2020 in the Arctic and not being able to say, uh, fuck it and go home because of lockdown, uh, I'm blessed with a partner, a cat and a job and just enough of a shitty Internet connection to be involved in the Channel 101 world and never disconnected fully from the world of artists back home in Kitchener-Waterloo, Ontario. Now that I've said all that, what exactly is going to change tomorrow? Pro- probably a page on the calendar and and my fucking clothes. That's about it. I-, 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 I love you. Celebrate safely tonight. Somehow. Okay, that was a long sentimental journey. John Maxim, in the year 2000, was in a band called Klutz. And I moved to Kitchener that summer from Hamilton, um, essentially being the new kid at Rez High School going into grade 11. A very shy and awkward kid at that, but also an eager young singer-songwriter. And a few kids asked me to sing with them in their band uh, in the bass player's basement. They were called Spiral Vision. We jammed several times planning to do a song for the upcoming Christmas assembly. Uh, which was a Christmas rework of Limp Biscuit's song for MI2, the worst Mission Impossible movie. Anyway, they were happy with my singing and performing energy, and a simple lack of communication led to me believing that I was not only in the band, but had licensed to write songs for them, making plans for us and doing whatever I wanted to with the T-shirt that I was going to wear at the assembly, which was a, a point of contention, uh, which went amazingly, by the way. The assembly... We rocked it, and it changed my life as far as how I felt walking through the halls of a, of a high school from that point forward. And The Assembly also featured a band called Klutz. They sang M- Minority by Green Day. They were super tight, and I also learned that they had original music. It blew my mind looking at this band going, like, so more than one of you are rallying together musically to play gigs? What? What? At venues too, not just in high school. And John, you write songs and a rhythm section willfully learns and plays these songs with you? Fucking what? I didn't know that could happen in the world of people that I knew. I'd been writing songs only dreaming of that and didn't think I'd ever have it as well. It's just the way I write. I write for a band. And I spent years after that one step away from giving up fuck whatever Uh, another story but i'm illustrating that this was the point where john maxim another singer songwriter you know recognized me uh while he had a band he 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 looked at me in my songwriting empathized and then involved me in all of the band's activities Uh, fan club website roadie jam session hangout guy keyboardist and because of this i would meet all the people in the punk scene the bands that rolled through like Jersey and Monine, uh, people had recording people that had recording studios and promoted shows. The band Naked Flubber, and of course, I would get uh, acoustic solo opening gigs for these punk shows. These were all experiences, mind you, that were shared by John Maxim, as well as Rick Guerrero and Tom and Cat, and solidified a friendship that has not only lasted twenty years since, but it was an experience that got me excited enough about what I do that. Twenty years later, today, even if crushed by the rest of a life that is still creatively inactive, <laughs> uh, twenty years later, I'm I'm recording a podcast episode with Jonah Ray, who who also grew up in a punk scene, to ultimately become one of my favorite people who breathes air and drinks water, and then making an ABBA style song for KP Parker, and, and 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 I'm riffing and laughing my ass off with Chad Rachel. If John Maxim hadn't brought me out of my shell and encouraged me back then the way he did, uh, you wouldn't have the fucking gift in me you have now. <laughs> I'm kidding, but you wouldn't you wouldn't have that. John Maxim, spelled M-A-K-S-Y-M, not like the magazine, is a powerhouse of motivation, quality control, eagerness, passion, alt rock and punk loving. He's, of course, a very helpful, reliable, caring, and kind person. But this moment is here for uh, capitalist means. He's got a new album coming out as a solo artist. So after Klutz and their Roundup album, he was in a band called Close to Home, which went on tours, after which John made his biggest name with the band Breaching Vista, who released a whole bunch of music, went on a whole bunch of tours, and did an excessive amount of gigging, making... A shit ton of people happy and through a lot of trials and tribulations of being adults in a band that normally would shut down the show a lot sooner they they stuck it out for a long time so did breaching vista amicably calling it a day stop john from from rocking no in fact you'll hear a very well illustrated uh, account of it being far from over for john in other facts It might even leave the conversation realm and go into a very TED talky place for a while. But what the hell, it's New Year's Eve. Enjoy yourself. And within this episode, you'll hear the rockin' contents of John's first solo record, The Fear EP, a powerhouse of punk, alt-rock, and other genres that encapsulate John's work in 2020. And I can't wait to get into it. Sorry I made you wait. Starting with the song, You Know What I Want, here's my chat and episode with John Maxim.
2: Where I belong you know it's time weary chow to be judgment free to defeat Fair and stand strong with everyone everywhere Waiting for our star to shine through the
1: Johnny boy, I'm so glad that we could do this today. I'm so glad that we set up the time. Thank you for having me, Todd. I think it's the least that I could do to um, verbally fillet you and celebrate our friendship of 20 years. Uh, It's been a long time. (laughs) Mm. It's the least I could do because I can't even think of a way right now with COVID and living in the Arctic, as much as I'd love to, to repay you for all kinds of stuff that you've done for me. You've helped me move twice. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Both were enjoyable experiences. So don't, don't sweat it, man. I I like helping
3: you out. like you said, we've been friends for a long time. We've grown a lot in different ways and even together in in a lot of similar ways. Absolutely. Like I'm at your disposal. If you need help with moving, like picking up a box or a couch, (laughs) or if you need help on a song or something like, you know, and, and I I would totally reach out to you if I was in those
1: similar situations where I needed an extra hand lately. I just haven't. So it's been good. (laughs) I gotta definitely publicly thank you. I was putting together the Rumspringer song. To do that song, it was in the style of ABBA in Xanadu with Olivia Newton John. I can't sing that and have it be convincing. It's I'm I'm a dude. And, uh, and <laughs> Pitch I know Mitch direction. <laughs> <laughs> and I know lots of very, very talented um, singer songwriters that are women and prominent people in my life, good friends. Katie Topham, country artist, singer songwriter from Waterloo. I have after this, you're gonna send me a link so I can check her out. I will amazing singer-songwriter. She really was keen on doing it, but she of course has a new child in her life. So I wasn't able to... Congratulations to Katie. Uh, It's a beautiful baby named Zenon. I'm as grateful that she was going to do it and and just couldn't... Parenting a a new baby and and recording stuff. And I was very happy that she was on board, but I also created like a deadline for wanting to put the song out. And it was like no hard feelings and uh, she and I will be working together on stuff for sure as soon as possible. However... I put forth to you, Johnny. Do, do you know any female vocalists who might be able to do something in a pinch? You introduced me and, and fully endorsed uh, Rosie Sircone, who not only was great in a pinch but super talented. Fucking nailed it, and has been wonderful to work with as well. So, uh, isn't Rosie you. just Ro- Rosie's just an incredible human being, isn't she? Totally, and she's from Washington. So, how how did you come across her music and and her? It's funny you
3: should ask. So, there's a lot of backstory. But I was on the hunt for a particular sound in a particular song I, I was working on. Well, I'm still working on it. It's not quite finished yet. But I had this idea for a song kind of like Hey Soul Sister by Train meets Under the Sea by The Little Mermaid. I like them both. Excellent. So do I. I'm a huge fan of uh, of Disney music and I love pop rock, Train, Counting Crows, alternative rock You know, from the 90s. That's what I grew up on. I had this idea for this song and I was trying to like identify all of the instruments that made those songs sound so great. For instance, ukulele is played in Hey Solstice and it's just got this really, it's like, it's the hook, the riff of the ukulele. But then in in Under the Sea, you have all sorts of different percussive instruments. I was trying to pinpoint each one. There's other, there's horns, there's flutes, but there's a lot of uh, percussive stuff. I figured out that I think it was marimba that plays Mm -hmm. a big role in it, as well as like a steel pan drum. I went on Instagram. I think I went on everywhere looking for a marimba player. And I even had uh, a drummer that I was doing session recording with who also did percussion for me with congos, bongas, all sorts of stuff. He told me he had a marimba at one point, but sold it when he moved to L.A. It's such a large instrument to move around, so he didn't bring it with him. I don't know. I stumbled across Rosie. I think I was searching hashtags on Instagram Right. and right. she had hashtagged a, a video with marimba, a marimba. I didn't know my percussive instruments very well at the time. I just knew the sound I was going for. And I saw her playing this instrument. I reached out to her through Instagram, followed her, might've sent her a personal message on there, might've sent her an email. I can't remember if her account had her email on it, but reached out to her nonetheless through Instagram. And just said, hey, I'm this artist in Canada and I've got this idea for a song and I'm looking for a player. You play great. And she wrote back to me. She's like, hey, yeah, like I'm totally interested. I can record myself, but I play vibraphone. Is that okay? <laughs> sure. That, that's great. Like, I didn't, I'm not well-versed in all the different percussive instruments, especially with the keys like the xylophone to the uh, vibraphone to marimba. I didn't know all of the differences between them. I do I've got a better understanding now. Anyway, I reached out to her and she said she could play the vibraphone. So I sent her a guitar riff. Funny thing is, I couldn't even play the riff at the speed or the tempo of the song that I wanted the (laughs) vibraphone played at. But I said, here are the notes and here's the tempo and here's my song. I sent her a wave track of, you know, a rough mix of some guitar and drums and stuff. Not a whole lot going on yet. And I said, can you play this riff on the vibraphone for me? Cause I want to create a percussion solo in the song. And so she went ahead and she did it and sent it back to me and it was great. And I thought, wow, this girl is super talented, very prompt. And, and she did it in like overnight, basically kind of thing. Right. Very easy to work with. And through watching some of her Instagram videos, I heard her singing. And I thought she's got a really unique and really nice sounding voice. So I asked her, hey, can you also record backing vocals on this track? Like, it would be really cool to have you singing on this. And she said, yeah, no problem. Again, send her the lyrics. She laid down her vocals and did a fantastic job of it. Again, in almost no time at all. Mm -hmm. You know, just through getting to know her uh, in all these transactions, I also found out she played ukulele. That's one of the instruments I'm trying to also get on this song. I said, hey, can you double this guitar riff that I'm playing on ukulele? You know, just record it in these couple parts of the song. Like, I don't want it played all through the song. Each part that I had, uh, other than the backing vocals, which kind of follow me through the song, all of the different instruments just kind of have their appearance. They come and go. To season the mix, that's the way that I kind of... Describe it as each instrument is just adding a little seasoning in certain parts. Um, like flourishes. But, okay. Yeah. So it flourishes. And so, like, the, the ukulele comes in in the intro. Again, it's in the, uh, it's, it's supporting the percussion solo. And then at the end of the song, the song finishes with kind of a reprise to the percussion solo. So the vibraphone comes back in again. The ukulele's in there, ultimately, like steel pan. And that's how I, I got to know Rosie. And that started. I'd have to look up some emails and such, but that started like late spring, early summer. And we worked together throughout the summer at different times. It was probably a two month process to record all three parts. But as I was further developing the song each time, I just kept coming back to Rosie and saying, Hey, can you do this? Hey, can you do this? And not only could she do it, she knocked it out of the park every time.
1: Yeah, Rosie is a. From listening to you explain the the events, it's like the wellspring of her abilities and talents. The smile on the Grinch's face in the original animated cartoon—like <laughs> it just keeps growing and growing and growing. And and lo and behold, the name, <laughs> Yeah, I couldn't think of something else that. <laughs> A timely but no, it's in a, a inappropriate cool, reference. Cool
3: analogy. Very timely, yeah. very cool analogy.
1: <laughs> it might be the perfect one. Who knows? She She's also, as we both know, a fantastic singer-songwriter. It just so timed out that around the time that, that you gave me her name and I reached out and she, she was down to do the vocals on Rumspringa, she put out a single called 12, and it's dynamite. It's great. It's a good song. She is a, a talented songwriter and multi-instrumentalist. Mm-hmm. It's true. Here's the thing that I wanted to point out that I'm I'm sure you would agree on. Especially now that you've been doing the last the last year, something that I've been doing as a a solo artist for a long time, which is working with session musicians. And I mean, she's more than that. And every session musician I've worked with is an artist in their own right and multi-talented. The thing about like the perfect collaborator on sessioning on stuff is not just talent. Like talent is half of it. To be a really talented musician is one thing, but there are people who are super talented that don't have the skill set to take a small amount of time and give you exactly what you want and all the things that you're not even asking for. It's amazing how little detail that you have that you can give them that they know professionally exactly how to like extrapolate and give you exactly and more than than what you are able to articulate asking for. You know what I mean?
3: No, 100%. Rosie was, is that person. Not only is she a talented multi-instrumentalist, singer, songwriter, but her talent expands and goes beyond into that realm of understanding the artist's vision whom she's working for. I can only imagine that that comes from herself being such a creative artist and understanding her own vision yeah. of what she's trying to achieve. So, but yeah, she she takes the idea that you give her And she produces exactly what you were hoping for, even better than what you were hoping for. You kind of get it and you're surprised you shouldn't be, but you're surprised with what you receive on on the other end. This fantastic track that she played, but she didn't just play it. She really like embodied it and felt the music and gave some soul to it. You know? Mm -hmm. So she, yeah, she's a remarkable artist I'm really happy that I can call her a friend because yeah, we've been talking for several months now, gotten to know each other. Not only have uh, have I connected you guys together, I also connected her with uh, my longtime producer, Siegfried Meyer, who helped her with some of her projects. So it's, it's just been a really great experience all year getting to know Rosie. I really hope that travel opens up between our countries again. Yeah. And at some point in time, we can have a face-to-face hangout and jam session, you know, within the next year or two, at least. I, I would love to meet Rosie
1: and, and have a jam with her somewhere because I just, I want to see what she can do. With music and output that I've done before, just to be able to collaborate with other people it makes it more fun and easier to be a fan of my own thing. I, I, I wouldn't want anyone to hear the the guide vocal track that I sent her because it's so disgusting. And 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 she <laughs> she gave me what I was ultimately failing horribly to try and uh sing in an abba song but listen isn't um, that the beauty the beauty of of finding and collaborating
3: with musicians around the world though Mm -hmm. is you can't necessarily achieve your vision by yourself or on your own you know and it's kind of a one of those cliche sayings this year like we have to be together but apart Um, You know, having to be six feet apart and and all the safety precautions that you know need to be taken because of the pandemic, it's incredible how you can connect with an artist in a different part of the world to create the piece of art that you've been trying. You can hear it in your head, like as a as a songwriter, as a producer, as a music creator, you can often hear the final product playing in your head, and it drives you absolutely crazy. Like it's also extremely fun and enjoyable the process, but it drives you crazy because you you know you have to go from recording a demo to all of these different steps on this journey along the way to reaching the final destination, which we really don't know when we start how we're going to get there, but the fun is in finding out. Yeah.
1: Here's another track from John's Fear EP. You can hear some of this track from the po- on the podcast, From the Depths of Darkness to the Light of Success, hosted by an, a wonderful human being named Chris Swick a fellow Rez High alumnus. This is John Maxim, and the song is called The Blame. Dig it.
2: up get dressed up confess up the worst of my feelings are very mischieving my best of consists of the rest of my being that i've gotten good at concealing and i don't know why i can't close my eyes and escape to the places that i visualize maybe it's the fear no it must be the fear of the unknown actually leaving i struggle and blame myself Ties knots in my stomach and taunts as it carries the weight of contentment. Suppressed by the highs, undressed by my eyes, temporary relief like a substance, and I can't make sense of my flawed conscience, says it's caught in the toils of its residence. Got check on myself, time for therapy, help navigating the waters of my mental health. Too much, too hard, too soon to find the comfort in, learning pain is your friend, too bad so sad you dug the trench you're living in Survival takes digging in It's too late, 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 too late To give up now I'm on the outside looking
1: The more fun you have, speaking for myself only, but like the more the more that you do, the more experience that you have, succeeding and failing, or every every little step along the way to finishing and and feeling like the joy of the finished track bounce. It's all exquisite, and the more you become comfortable and uh, more invincible through the same process. Here is the thing, Johnny. I I would be just as happy to be chatting with you on this episode, regardless of whether or not you were still doing music. Music brought us together so long ago, and we've had this friendship. It just so happens that a week or so from now that we're recording this past tense, November 30th, you're releasing a new song called Fear. Small correction, and the the new song
3: actually isn't called Fear. It's the final song that's a consolidated EP, basically, of all of the songs I've released this year. So the EP is going to be called Fear. Uh, The new song, in fact, is actually called Planet, an acoustic version of a song that I wrote and recorded with my former band breaching Vista, but it was written on acoustic with the idea that it was going to be played on acoustic. Right. And it just so happened the band, when I showed them the song, they liked the song so much, all of these ideas kind of flourished and turned into a full production track. And it was great, really well received. It was the last breaching Vista song that we uh, released before the band split up in December of last year. That was a 13-year run, by the way. So it was due for a change. Um, but it was the last song that we put out. There was two things that happened. One, I felt like the song didn't get to live up to its full potential, partly because I didn't record it the way I originally had thought of it. And then partly because the band ended so soon after the song was released. Although we knew going into it that that was going to be the final release. Right. It just, it kind of didn't get to live its life with with the proper amount of uh, care. I guess, like, you know, giving it some promo and giving it some love and and being able to play it live for an audience, that type of thing. We just didn't get to do a lot with that song. The other thing was that I submitted the song into some songwriting competitions and I was a semi-finalist in two different competitions. So I thought this song really has a lot more to give and I need to give it a second life kind of thing. And I just decided uh, over the summer, I was doing a lot of recording a studio called Sarah's Hall, working with producer engineer, Mike Whaling who's also uh, my guitar tech. He does incredible work on guitars and he's great in the studio. He's got a beautiful space. I said, hey, can we throw down an acoustic track really quickly? I want to release this song. I don't know how or when or what I'm going to do with it yet. but And so we recorded this acoustic version of Planet and it's, it's a very Campfire-esque type feel. And I kind of sat on it for a few months because I didn't really know what to do with it. As I was putting a plan together for next year, everything kind of fell into place and I realized that I wanted to put out an EP this year but the way that the pandemic shut down studios and stuff in the, in the early part of the year really threw my initial plan off track. So I had to you know regroup and make a new plan as I was going, make adjustments anyway. You know, By the end of the year, I want to put out this EP and I had a great title for it called Fear because a lot of the songs I'd been writing were fear-based pieces or parts of like a personal development type journey. Uh, so it just seemed fitting that this EP is titled Fear, especially in a year that kind of felt like it was a global uh shared fear not that you know i don't subscribe to it but it just felt like that was the appropriate title yeah for this ep for these songs for this year anyway we recorded planet and then uh i always envisioned an audience singing this song along with me at a show while i'm playing acoustic like it, it was meant to be an acoustic song it was meant to be performed acoustically and so i got uh my sister my current drummer uh fatty koshaba he's a incredible young artist surprisingly really skinny (laughs) so fatty was born in turkey he's middle eastern anyway and that's his name is f-a-d-i fatty just such an incredible musician so i got him and my sister over and i got siegfried my producer to come over And we tried to set up a campfire gang vocal recording session. We had it all kind of set up and ready to go. And it's just, it started to rain that night. And we're like, you Uh. gotta be kidding. We got a, a fire going. We want to kind of capture the crackle of the fire in the microphone and everything. We threw up a merch tent really quickly, about 10 feet away from the fire to be safe. And we set up the microphone under the tent. I had my friend Jeremy Travers over to capture some video. But uh, essentially, yes, Fatty, my sister Natalie and I sang gang vocals on the second half of the song and we did it outside in the backyard with the fire going in the rain. You know, it was kind of a, a really fun, unique experience. And then shortly after I heard the mix with the gang vocals, it didn't feel satisfying enough yet. And so like as I was playing the song, I was hearing cello lines.
1: Right. I I want to come back to the cello. I'm I'm going to be honest. It sounds like you're creating an alibi for something that actually wasn't COVID safe. And you're like, it was like 10 feet apart from here. It's like, you're just putting that on record on my show, right? (laughs) Well, the, the, the merch tent itself
3: is a 10 by 10, but we were 10 feet away from the fire so that it didn't, uh, it didn't catch fire. So I heard this cello in my head while I was listening to the song and I reached out to uh, the most incredible cello player that I know, Kevin Fox, And Kevin's recorded for, I believe he's recorded for Celine Dion. He definitely has recorded for Chantel Triviacic, Stephen Page. He's done work. I've seen him tour with Our Lady Peace. This guy is awesome. Kevin worked on uh, some Breaching Vista songs in 2010. I reached back out to him in, uh, well, I think it was beginning of this month here, November. And I just said, hey, can you record me a cello line on this acoustic song? I just, I have to have it and he said yeah no problem john and a day later had the tracks it was that quick every musician that i work with every session player is extremely talented and they're excellent at just providing their service in the quickest amount of time possible it's
1: it's unreal like this and yeah sorry it's so valuable it's not just what you're asking for but it's everything that you're not asking for that you're getting in the exchange it's us musicians we're we're good at articulating a lot of things but there's a lot it's a complicated language to be like hey can you produce the feeling that I'm hoping to create and, yes. like, uh, <laughs> and you have a lot of passion and fire in your songs but like maybe there's like some maybe there's like a feeling in a cello performance that you don't necessarily know how to I, I'm not speaking for you but I'm just saying like there was probably all kinds of things that you didn't have to ask him for that someone who might not have that kind of skill set, could be talented but wouldn't know how to give you what you want and they would want you to explain for hours and try multi-tracking you're, and give a month you're exactly right the beautiful thing about uh, what kevin
3: does is he plays you multiple cello parts they sound harmonious together like it's like your own little orchestral section <laughs> or of just of just cellos right but you're, you're getting multiple lines all playing different things that just blend perfectly together he, he's so creative that way to put things into perspective, like, yeah, I could pull out my little MIDI controller and I could play some strings with some software and have a very basic sounding like, nah, nah. We did that, you and I, back in high school when uh, you joined my band Klutz and you put in some some strings for live performances using a keyboard, which yeah. at that time sounded awesome. It filled the room with sound for particular songs we were doing that with, but on a recording... I much rather would prefer that human element of the way the bow is moving across the strings instead of me trying to be the creative mastermind behind every inch of the song, every moment, every note. No, I want to pass the torch off to somebody even more talented than I am and say, hey, can I get you to do what you do on my song? And that's really the beauty of working with uh, these session artists. They just kind of take it and they make it their own. Kevin does stuff that I would never think of because I don't understand the cello. I don't know how to play a, an instrument like that, an orque- orchestral instrument. He's a pro. That's
1: it. Here's the song we were just talking about. This is Planet by John Maxim. Check out the Fury P on all platforms and the episode notes for the links.
2: I should have been greener the night I met you Gone are the things that I took for granted But granted my mistakes were flowers in bloom You make me depreciate in value I don't wanna call you, I don't wanna be Dead on the same planet as you, on the same planet as you, it might be just me the pit of my stomach Feels tight like a pretzel, a knotted salted wound. You pull it on strings Attached to my organs, I try to pretend I don't feel it at all You make me depreciate in value I don't wanna call you, I don't wanna God, dead. I'm the same planet as you. our heart and beat it to a pole and fed it to the sharks But I'll be alright, yeah I'll be just fine, not afraid of the hard times I've made it through lonely nights, I'll fly away, no reason to stay here You've dirtied a clean place. You ruin the best part of waking up here. You make me depreciate in value. I don't wanna call you. I don't wanna be content on the same.
1: Here's the thing. By the way, love you, man. Thank you. I love you, too. One of the best places that I've gotten to this year has been in recognizing I've just become (laughs) able to give love and friendship without expectation. It comes from growing up insecure and uh, feeling like other people needed to love me before I could love myself and love them back. Uh, feeling like if I gave my friendship or love to anyone, that it's like it was hinging on whether or not I would get it in return. It makes or, you
3: vulnerable for sure. Yeah.
1: But just being in a place where I, could, I I just give it without expectation, it takes all of the the weight off. And the pressure is gone. <laughs> yeah. And when I get it back, it's it, it means a lot more. I'm not asking for it internally let alone externally that's been one of my favorite things about this year just discovering that and uh, being there i want to deep dive back with you but let me just apologize for getting the details i fucked up um the ep is called fear you got more stuff coming out in 2021 D- does fear have some of the songs that i played on the podcast before like that were out earlier this year like you know what i want or
3: yes yeah, so fear fear consists of five songs uh the four that are previously released under my name as a, as a solo artist and Planet Acoustic is coming out uh, November 30th and that will be the fifth song for the EP. I just wanted to tie things together. I had an idea of putting out a record but I had to pivot and make adjustments to my plan uh, like everyone has this year. It's just been, that's the name of the game. I have so much work going into a number of songs for next year. I lost track for a little bit When do I want this EP to come out? How do I want to finish it? What am I going to call it? And all of a sudden, you know, I had to answer all of those questions. Um, But the nice thing is, this is a little like personal development tidbit. Every question has an answer. The answers are there. You just have to ask them and you have to ask good questions. Yeah. So I, I I would ask myself these questions. I would ask myself these questions in the form of writing them down. I would write it down on a piece of paper, like before I went to bed, some days wake up and know what I needed to do the next day. Or maybe it took a few days to kind of, you know, conjure up the idea of the answer, what it's going to be, but the answers are out there. You just have to ask the questions. So I got the answers that I needed. And I put this plan together. Fear is going to roll out on November 30th with one new song on it, which is planet. And then I'm going to roll into next year and start recording music or start releasing music. Sorry, right off the bat. Um, I have a plan to release a new song once a month from January to September. Right. And with the, ninth, with the ninth release in September will be the full album release that's going to have 11 tracks. So it'll be two more to go with it. I just decided, you know what? Nobody's doing things this way. I don't think anyway, but I want to do something different. And most people in my own experiences as well with uh, my previous releases with bands, you work so hard and it can take a year, it can take a year and a half to put together an album that by the time... You know, you put all this work into it and you release it. And then all of a sudden, within like two months, it's kind of become old news. And not only that, there's so much music available at our fingertips. Now that the entire library of released music is on these streaming services like Spotify or Apple Music. Yeah. Um, you know, at the click of a button, you can listen to just about anything you've ever wanted to listen to that you, that is released that you know of. You could put out a song and a month later people have moved on from it well i guess if you had multiple songs but if they move on from it that quickly it's because there's so much music out there to choose from why don't i just release almost every song on the record you know and give it its own little space its own kind of month a little bit of promotion and some consumption yeah a little push but then follow up with the next one and continue that. That's really the trend of the music consumption habits of the average listener. They they just want what's next. So I, I, feel I, like I,
1: don't, I don't mean to cut you off, but that's it's, okay. It, it's very true. I feel like it might've been happening longer ago than 2020, but it, it really is the best way to go. As much as we love albums and as, as much as we love making stuff, another thing that you and I both know, it's hard to say this is the end of the production line. There isn't one thing that I've ever made that I couldn't keep working on. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> I know. Some of these songs just get out of hand for me. <laughs> and I think that's our, pro- that that might be like one of our problems as 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 rock and rollers, as creators, singer-songwriters, like this isn't even the first conversation about it that I've had or heard. It's like you have to just say it's done at some point and, and share it because ultimately for you, saying here you go is like the best way to say I gave up on taking forever on this. I don't know. Maybe I'm just being stupid.
3: <laughs> I get the point of what you're saying. It's ultimately you have to tie the knot and, and wrap the thing up and here's give it as a gift. You know, it's kind of like putting a bow on it and here it's done. Yes, you can do that and you can do it in the form of releasing the album altogether as a whole. And honestly, there's like probably nothing more fulfilling for an artist or creator or songwriter than to do that because the biggest internal battle that I've had with myself is, is I want to deliver my album as an entire package and say, here, this is the grouping of songs that all kind of go together in this theme. And I want you to experience them one after another. However, once I got to the realization that I was the only one that really wanted that, I had to kind of get over my ego and go, you know what? That would be cool and fulfilling and stuff. But you know what would be more cool and more fulfilling? is if every month people kept coming back to my Spotify and listening to my songs. And if every month somebody was looking forward to the next thing, and if every month I could provide that to the listener for their experience, because it's not about me. There's a certain element of fulfillment in creating and releasing the material. But once it's released, it's about the listener and it's about their experience with it creating a bond with that listener and nurturing a relationship with them so that they become a longtime fan and supporter of your music and that they're looking forward to the next thing. That's how you kind of distinguish like, okay, well, when is this one done? It's done now because it has to be done and I need to deliver it because now I've got somebody that's expecting it and I don't want to break that relationship or that trust by not delivering on something I said I was going to do. It puts the onus on you as the creator to get things finished, get them organized, get them out, But then that that whole fulfillment experience happens month over month over month instead of at the beginning of the year, hey, it's January, here's my album. And then by like October, you're wondering, what do I do now? Like next year? And I'm not the one that invented this idea by no means, you know, releasing every song individually. You're right. That's been happening for a long time. And even the idea of making like a, a collaborative album of all the songs, that's been done as well. But for me, it's kind of, it's a new idea that I'm going to do for myself I feel like I can reproduce this over and over again type thing. I don't know if you know January 2022 is going to look like January 2021. I'm not sure if I'll get another album recorded next year for release the following year, but it's at least a process that I feel like I can maintain some consistency with for each project. Uh, so I may be looking at 2022 as being really, this is the time when I'm going to go out and really play these songs but I'll be writing and recording throughout the entire time as well. That That's just a natural progression.
1: Fuck nice, man. I love talking about projects. I, I don't want to stay on it too long, but it. I think there's something to be said about a consistent and almost like appointment-based, deadline-based uh, workflow that you're not spending a year or two beating yourself over the head building expectations because I've done this I've, I I took five years to record one album <laughs>
3: the art of perfectionism
1: <laughs> yeah perfectionism or just slow slow production I mean when people hear our final songs we're wanting them to in- enjoy them but part of us inside might be hoping that they are able to extrapolate months and or years of self-torture and labor and uh, overthinking I've I've been that person. Again, if my music was my love, I put it out expecting people to call me a genius and to to feel every emotion I went through when I was thinking about the song idea. And it's it's um to be able to say this is done, here it is, world. Let's have a party. All right, I'll see you in another month for the next one. It, it's it's so much more better, spiritual and literal workflow. Anyway, but I still love the album. So what do I know? But let's
3: uh oh, no I. So that, that's part of why this ultimately uh, becomes a compilation album of songs released throughout the year. Right. Because I, I still love, I, I'll be honest with you, man. I personally just want to put this thing out on vinyl so that I can have one. Yeah, because I've got I've got a vinyl collection, you know, like I, I'm not like a huge collector. I've got a, probably a few over 100 albums, but I've got a couple that, you know, are in frames and stuff. I want to put one on my wall as just kind of one of those achievements that say, hey, I did this. And I also want to listen to it on vinyl because I want to I've never heard my own music played on vinyl before. So I've got those same you know aspirations like I want the record because I want it to be a record. There's so much competition out there for people's interests, whether it be music or Netflix or Amazon Prime. Like, you know, there's so much on demand entertainment. I didn't want to release my album and and you know, for myself and have that fulfillment of like, there it is, it's done, here you go. And then kind of be an afterthought shortly after. I, I wanted to be like, no, like let's compound, let's build on this, let's go song by song by song. And you know what? Maybe. The same result might happen where people still lose interest because of so much competition for, you know, for their attention. But whatever the case may be, I at least feel like this is a new experience for me. I'm trying something new. Whether it succeeds or fails, it's gonna help me grow as an artist and as a person. The biggest thing is I'm going about it, I'm taking imperfect action. Some people around me used to tell me that I was a bit of a perfectionist. I disagree, but that's probably why. So <laughs> I have a song written uh, called Chasing Passion that'll be out next year. There's a line in it that says take imperfect action, fail fast, fail often, and then it ends with learn from it. Really like you just need to keep taking action, keep taking action, mess it up, do something you didn't mean to do, and then learn from it and then you won't make that same mistake. You'll find a new one to make, but keep falling forward. And that's, that's growth. That's resilience. So, exactly. So that's mm-hmm. that's where I'm at and it's just about growing as an artist and as a person.
1: I love it, brother. Hey everybody, this is Drinking and Thinking by John maxim from the Fear EP.
2: When I'm finally sitting in the old man's chair, rocking back and forth, looking worse for wear. Fulfillment stretched from ear to ear, glass in hand. I've been thinking about love, drinking and thinking about love, Never a good damn life, no regrets or fear. My Time is up, I've been thinking about love as Give back.
1: I'm going to hold back. Uh, we can do like a quick deep dive. We don't have to spend like ages on 2000, 2001, 2002. There's so many great memories and and I cherish being able to go. Johnny goes that far back, but I, I, I kind of just want to ask <laughs> <Let's> go. Like, <laughs> as a songwriter, focusing only on just the aspect of writing a song. How, how do you feel about yourself? Do you think you're a good songwriter? Do you want to be known? Uh, God damn it. Sorry. No. How do you feel about yourself as a songwriter? <laughs> Now I feel like uh, I've I've grown and developed quite a bit
3: as a songwriter, especially in the last ten years. I look back at the Breaching Vista recordings and, and the albums we did. I always felt like my songwriting was on the verge of of getting. Well, I'm I'm never going to be the songwriter I want to be because I always want to go further. You know, I always want to grow more. But I remember in the Breaching Vista days, we released Vera City songs, Nervous. And Forgive You, two of my favorite songs on that album. Nervous, I didn't write a second verse to the song. I just repeated the first verse. There were like small changes and differences, kind of in the melody, a couple words. Ultimately, it's the same verse sung twice. And I remember being in the studio with Siegfried and he said, hey, are you going to write another verse? And I said, no, man, I've said what I wanted to say in this song. <laughs> but the, the, tr- the truth is, I really didn't know what else to say in the song. And maybe that is because I said what I needed to say. But I've always kind of felt like, you know, maybe I didn't say enough in that right. song. So that's kind of, and it doesn't haunt me or anything. It's it's in the past. And so it's pushed me to do better on the things I've written since then. Um, but another song, Forgive You. One of my favorite songs that I've ever done because of the production aspect of the song. As a producer ear type person, and I'll be honest with you, I'm giving myself producer credits for the first time in my life, and I probably should have years ago. Not to take anything away, uh, Siegfried Meyer has been the producer that stood by me since 2007 when we started working together, and he's been incredible in my growth as a musician and, and a producer There's been songs like Forgive You where the producing really happened more from my end, uh, where I reached out and hired Kevin Fox to play cello. I hired a great violin player named Alex Chung. To make a long story short, I spent about a year sourcing uh, an African gospel choir. Because I had this idea in my head, going back to the Disney stuff, of this Lion King sound meets Kings of Leon. So the song is kind of built around like Kings of Leon type vibe. What a funny onomatopoeia there. Kings of Lion King. Yeah. So, But I had this idea of this like melodic chant in the background. And I literally went out to churches all through the Waterloo region to check out their choirs. Not that there's anything wrong with uh, seniors, but most of these choirs were filled with senior people. And I found this multicultural choir, um, downtown Kitchener, kind of by a fluke. My drummer's dad stumbled across and told me um, when we were having dinner one night together. And he didn't even know I was looking for a choir. I just happened to say it. And he's like, oh, I've heard this choir that's downtown that it's phenomenal. You need to go see them. And so I went and I watched the choir at one of the rehearsals. And then I introduced myself to the choir director. And, you know, kind of in front of like 100 people singing in a church just, hey, I'm this guy in a rock band and I really want to have a choir. Will you guys record for me? And it took months and months and months to make it happen. But it was a goal that I wasn't going to settle for anything less than achieving it. I record this song. We, I get it down to exactly the way I want it to sound. We release it. And then we start getting reviews because we hired a publicist and the reviews start coming in and people are like, yeah, that song Forgive You sounds great, but I just don't understand what it's about. And I went back, you know, and I kind of review my lyrics. And I thought, yeah, this is a pretty vague sounding song lyrically. Like there's no real story being told here. I knew what it was about. I wasn't getting that message across in the song. So then, you know, now the song's done, the album's done, it's released. I did what I was hoping to do. I got the sound I wanted. That was the big thing for me. And I do really like a good storytelling lyric, like a Bruce Springsteen song. I grew up on Springsteen and I like Green Day like Billy Joe Armstrong, I think is a great songwriter. He creates characters and really you can kind of envision what he's seeing. As a songwriter, that was a point where I wrote the song in 2009 and it was released in 2011. Uh, but as a songwriter so from that point on, I've grown immensely in, in being able to to paint a better picture for the listener because of that experience where I started getting these reviews and people were saying, we, we don't know what the song's about, but it sounds great. Now, it, it may still have happened with other songs I've released, but it's definitely something that I try and work and work and work on to improve. Um, so ultimately, I get to that place where it's no longer a question of what the song is about; it's just an enjoyable experience.
1: And that's an example of falling forward. Exactly. I, know, I, I was being and, and
3: I know and no, it's no, it really, truly is. It's my hope that I've achieved that, and I'm continuing to to go forward and improve on my songwriting. And I feel like bringing back to planet. Uh, the next song coming out, I feel like maybe that shows a sense of validation. Like, this is true because for the first time in my life, I've been a semifinalist in two different songwriting competitions that have had thousands of entries. Yeah. So, that to me is like, okay, I've, I've jumped to the next step. There's still room to grow. I didn't win the competition. Hey, I'll give myself a pat on the back for a minute. And then it's like, okay, let's get better.
1: You and I both, and I'm sure so many other people we know, have had in the last 20 years so many instances where we could have gone maybe i'm not cut out for this maybe artistic stuff is uh, not for me because that failed whatever absolutely
3: you know Um, what and uh, i'll jump in real quick with that because i have a song on uh, next year's album that's called decision is the door and one of the lines in in the verse is will i put another record out because there were points of my life and periods of time where i I just didn't know if i was going to do that again Ultimately, for this particular song, going through some personal development coaching, I hired a great coach named Doug Dane, who is the head consultant for the Proctor Gallagher Institute. When I sat down and had my very first meeting with Doug, and he asked me, Hey, man, like, what are your goals? And I kind of rambled on about being a musician and a songwriter, and I didn't really have myself pulled together at the time. You need to make an effing decision. He, you know, He didn't say it lightly like that. It was more abrupt, and he used all the words. And I was like, "Holy crap, this guy's right!" I had to make a decision, and so then, um, through being a member of his community, uh, there's this wonderful uh, artist. She's a, a storybook writer for kids and does has like a puppet that she you know reads stories and does music and stuff. Her name's Jenny Q. Through that community uh, of Doug's, Jenny made a comment in one of our group chats one day that she said, "You know what? Decision is the door." You got to make a decision to then help everything move forward in your life to get things going. And I was like, wow, what a great song title. So I grabbed that from Jenny and I told her I was doing it. She's heard me play it on acoustic and she likes it. Doug's heard me play it as well. So everyone's giving me like thumbs up and seal of approval. Yeah, it was Doug that uh, that inspired me to make the decision that this is what I'm going to do. Don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to. And then, uh, yeah, Jenny gave me, she inspired me with this idea of the song title. And I kind of took all of that and I wrote this song about how decision has really gotten me through to becoming the next stage in my artist career.
1: I see. I see what you did. You, you, you milked this wonderful community for musical creativity gain. I, I see what you did.
3: Don't tell them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no,
1: I, no, it, yeah. it's, uh, you I'm know what? It, it's
3: great when you surround yourself with like-minded people who lift you up and inspire you. It doesn't matter if you're necessarily in the same career path or whatever, as long as you're on the same journey, yeah. then you can always, you can always find inspiration from each other. It's really about looking for the good in all situations.
1: No, yeah, well articulated. I feel like we both understand it the same, but like absolutely, we do. My ability to speak sometimes does not reflect that.
3: (laughs) No, you're 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 a fantastic host, and I always love us chatting, Todd. Like when we're just hanging out, you know, at a show or something like that. Uh, which we haven't done in a while. But when the opportunity comes to do it again, it'll be like it happened yesterday. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's the nice thing about our friendship. It's grown over the years, but well, let's take it back to the start, shall we?
1: I will say like there, there's something to be said about those years in life where statistically 18 to 20, 25, and maybe go back before that, like 13, 14, 15. There are certainly experiences that you can have in any stream of life, whether you're an artist, performer, or anything where the experiences that are overwhelming and magical, like your first performance in front of a crowd, there, there's nothing comparable <laughs> yeah. to to what you go through at that age when it's the first time. Uh, but there are certainly things that match how special that is and how it can feel. And there's certainly things that are better than that, but certainly hormonally- And that's how far back you go with me, because my first performance in front of a crowd of people was at school at Resurrection Catholic Secondary School, where I got to be in a band uh, and supporting, I would say, a wonderful original music making act at my school, which was Klutz, which was the band that you fronted when we were in high school. My first time falling was when that band that I was singing for kicked me out. Spiral like, Vision. <laughs> they were called Spiral Vision. <laughs> I, I made agreements with myself that I was a full-fledged member of the band and I was like, guys, I got Vision up the butt. I got a t-shirt. I got, uh, all I, right, all right. And then one day the drummer. Listen, man, it, I think it was just kind of for the assembly. We, we, we love you. We love jamming with you. And I was like, well, you know, I, w- I was the teen that had this idea built up in my mind, lesser communication and understanding skills that I would later have. At the time, it felt horrifying. And I could have easily have taken all my expectations that putting out music would be with a band that I joined and said... Well, yeah, I can't do this because I can't do this alone. But, you know, eventually picked up the guitar and started writing songs and leaning into the idea of being a solo act. And if I didn't do that, and if I didn't have the support of people like you and other musicians we were in that punk scene with at the time, that could have been just a high school phase. That's the beginning of my musical story also the beginning of our friendship, also going back 20 years to that school assembly. That was your first band, I believe, Klutz? Or did you have a different name with the same guys before that? In grade eight,
3: we started a band um, with the same drummer from Klutz, Tom. My buddy Daryl was playing bass in grade eight. We called the the band Blind. And actually my friend Chad right. um, McDougal, I, I got to throw Chad in there too, because Chad, <laughs> Chad and I have recently talked um, and he is still to this day, a huge supporter of what I'm doing and I am grateful for it, but he, he wants to, (laughs) Chad wants to manage me. It's really funny. And well, that I shouldn't like, I'm not laughing at it, his involvement level that he wants to get like, be so involved in it because after grade eight, he kind of moved away from music. He didn't keep playing. Um, He went a different path. He owns a construction company, which is incredible. (laughs) And and he's sitting there and he called, he called me. He's like, Hey man, I want to manage you. (laughs) Like, well, Chad, I appreciate that, man. Like, that is awesome. But I'll say yeah. Chad played in the band in grade eight, and we were called Blind, and we named ourselves after the skateboard company. We liked the blind, the the little Reaper character, and and we were all into skateboarding at the time and stuff. So it was just kind of one of those yeah, let's do that. And we started high school under that moniker as well. As people kind of moved in different directions, Tom and I, you know, just the two of us playing together through a music school that I was going to for guitar lessons at the time. I met uh, Rick Guerrero, who we found that we shared a love for green day. Rick was learning bass at the time and we needed a bass player. And Green Day was a three-piece band. So we thought, hey, why don't you join the band? We'll start playing some songs and stuff. And none of us were any good at the time. Like we were really bad <laughs> at playing our <laughs> instruments. We were bad at songwriting, at everything. But we started a band called Blind. I won't go into like all the nitty-gritty details of that, but it it evolved into what was known as CLUTS. And towards the end of high school, we had a fourth member join the band, which was Chris Montero, fantastic guitar player. Uh-huh. Um, he was a couple years younger. And I remember Chris came to a Klutz show through our mutual friend Kat, Kat Lorenko, who is a good friend of ours. But Kat introduced me to Chris. This guy asked if he could play my guitar after the show. And we were clean, we used to run our own shows. That's how punk rock this was. That's how you know you and I played together on these events. Because as kids, we would just rent a venue. And throw a show. We'd print flyers and charge five bucks at the door and hope people showed up. And they did. They came in in volumes. The, the audience.
1: That's still one of the best things to do is to build your own house like that. Yeah, absolutely. It,
3: it was it was awesome while it lasted. In that period of time, it was such a cool like guerrilla marketing strategy of uh-huh. hitting the streets and handing out flyers and getting the, the skateboard kids to come out. And um, but it, that was what made it punk rock. We weren't really a punk rock band. We you know we were more alternative rock than anything. But it was punk rock. Was was the ethic behind it of just doing it yourself and sticking it to the man kind of thing. So, anyway, um, we're, we're packing up, cleaning up the venue, and this guy, Chris, wants to play my guitar. So I let him plug it in and he starts ripping Van Halen. This kid's better than I am. What the heck? <laughs> we invite him over for a jam one night and he shows up and he's just wailing away, doing his thing. All of a sudden, halfway through a song, Tom stops and he's like, All right, guys, Chris, you're in the band. <laughs> we all look at each other. We're like, sounds good like yeah we grew up on green day and they're they're a three-piece band everything but we're like
1: this kid is too talented not to have him in the band from the fear ep by john maxim the song is called paper
2: Fade away into existence, the comfort of living. The status quo has swallowed you whole, oh, like a script from a movie. He raises his head and stares at her with brooding eyes. Cut that was great, love you. it. And your feelings try, on again, off again Write it down, write it down This paper will sound it all out Broken home, you're walking on eggshells The tension so thick you can cut through Yeah.
3: Chris joined, and that was uh, Klutz. We recorded an album. And at the end of the school year, the band basically disbanded. Chris and I went on to continue playing music together, and and we built a band called Close to Home, which was around for a few years. And then in between a couple-year break there, I went from Close to Home to starting Breaching Vista that lasted a lifetime.
1: Right. And I I don't feel like this is super important, but I feel like as far as the the Klutz story goes, I remember... Part of my high school experience was being like a klutz, super fan, like honorary male groupie sort of. Not not all the duties of a groupie, but certainly just wanting to be at every show, to be at the jam sessions, well, just to hear the band. You know, off.
3: I recognized all that actually as a frontman of the band, and I guess leader of the band. I definitely I saw that contribution from you being that like above average fan of the band, but also like you're my peer in the music community and you were starting up your own thing. And if, you know, I've always been that type of person that wants to lift up my friends. If I can give an opportunity to a friend or if I can help a friend out, of course I'm going to do that. And, and I want to, and without even asking for anything in return. Like I just, that's, I just want to help. I saw you and I saw your talent, your passion. And it was like, I want this guy to come along for the ride. We brought you in. You played a house concert in my basement you know, at one of the 519 scene shows, which was what we called them. Cooper was the founder of the 519 community essentially. But yeah, I remember we had you come in and you played, you know, open for Klutz. And then we had you playing keyboards in Klutz to yep. do the strings for some songs and stuff. And then I remember at one period in time, like after Klutz disbanded, we tried to kind of float it for a little while to find new members. Yep. And I remember hiring you to play bass or maybe not hiring you, but asking you, hey, talk, can you come play bass for a gig? And you came <laughs> out and played bass. Maybe you weren't a great bass player at the time, but it was quite you know rough, what? but I didn't
1: know the songs we, like in my in my head.
3: That, that's that's why I called you. And I was like, I sat down with, uh, it was with Chris. And at the time we had a new drummer named Andy. And I said, Hey guys, Todd knows the songs. Like he's been a fan of the band for years. He's played live shows with us. He knows the songs. Let's just throw a bass in his hand and see what happens. You right. know, and we got through the show. We ended up playing it. We never played again after that, I don't think, because at the time it was time to move on. Hearing um, yourself on
1: bass was like, This is dead.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it was the end before Todd played bass. I know, we just I had know. a show book that we wanted to fulfill on our end. I usually keep a tab of all the shows on like an Excel file. And I think there's about eight or nine, maybe breaching Vista shows in 13 years that we couldn't, we couldn't play. And I think half of those were this, the show canceling on us. We had one summer where three festivals bailed on us,
1: which really sucked because they were good festivals, but That was just kind of the way the summer went. I I just wanted to say like that experience of being invited into the environment and able to participate of the experiences themselves, the being put outside of my only child at home comfort zone, just being there, this kind of experience and environment that that group of people, Kat, everyone created was not just something that's important for someone to have. It created a very unique and special part in my life. You were the the spearhead in me being a, a welcome part of that environment. And so like I brought that up as a way of saying thank you. And because it didn't even stop there, but in that part of the story, thank you.
3: You know what? It's my pleasure, man. I'm glad that I could have that kind of a contribution for it. You also contributed hugely in that period of time. You contributed hugely for what I was doing. From that point on, whether you know it or not, you've been a huge inspiration to me with the whole solo career route. Because I've seen you do it and I've seen you work with some incredible people and create some really great sounding records. And I've always felt like you are just such a talented songwriter because you have this unique way of tapping into all of your different you know, moments of inspiration, like different bands like the Beatles and or even the ABBA on your most recent song. Um, but you have a way of like tapping into that style. And Weezer was a big one uh, in the early days. I remember oh, yeah. that as well. And you take that and you just kind of form it into your own thing, but, but it's not like you hear a Todd Donald song. It's like, oh yeah, he just ripped off Weezer or the Beatles. It's like, no, no, he took like all of the cool things the Beatles did or Weezer or whoever else and made it uniquely himself, like his own. That was always really inspiring when you did Todd's first record, Todd's second record, and so on and so forth. Yeah. That was always kind of in the back of my mind, like, you're showing, like, hey, I can go out and I can work with all of these people. And you made some incredible friends with musicians, like you're, you're friends with Peter Katz, you're friends with Rob Zabel. These are really incredible, talented guys that have done some awesome things in their day. I don't know these guys personally. And I, you know, I've been involved in the music scene for a long time. So I look at those things like, man, Todd's Todd's done well for himself in creating his own community. So when it came time for me to start looking at being a solo artist and that, I often looked back at what you've done with your career and I thought, you know what? I can do this because Todd's shown and proved that it can be done. You find someone that's done something that you want to do, and you kind of follow a bit in their footsteps because they've proved. How, how it can be done and then you make your own mistakes along the way but you skip a whole bunch of them because you look at the things that someone else has done and say oh, I can do that too so I hired a lot of session players this year to record an album that's going to come out next year but I did that with kind of in the back of my mind knowing hey Todd Donald has done this for like a decade or more and he's been you know he's still playing he's been successful at it. he's had some great moments so you've been a huge inspiration to me and I've probably never told you that but I want to thank you as well Todd.
1: Oh, man. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's funny because, I mean, literally is Sunday, November 22nd that you and I are chatting. But I- I'm in the holiday spirit already just from, from, from that moment.
3: I wanted to also mention that, uh, you know, we've had some really good co-writing experiences. We haven't kept up with it as much as, you know, we'd probably like to. But I still go back and, and like, listen to, like, a demo recording of us playing uh, No Substance you know, thinking like that is such a cool song. Like we wrote that song about how it's kind of like that people's attention spans are focused solely on like the online experience yeah. and about not having any substance in like real life. Cause we we've experienced moments where we grew up in the period of time where you couldn't text or call somebody immediately when you wanted to, because you might be in the car on the way home from somewhere. And even if you're not driving, if you're young enough and that your parents are driving you somewhere, there just weren't cell phones. Yeah. Like there wasn't that point of immediate contact. So we used to have a thing where we'd have to get home and we'd have to call from a landline. We have to check up with somebody. It wasn't a text message away or you couldn't scroll through the newsfeed and see, what people are doing and see like, what are my options of like having a cool weekend? You know, what's everyone going, got going on? So we, we wrote a song essentially about all those experiences and stuff. And I still think to this day, like it's a cool song. One of us may end up recording it someday. I don't know. But uh, do, we've we had, we had co-writing experiences that yeah. have gone really well.
1: I, I totally agree. And I do want to put on the record that I've, I've become more laid back in my stance on that. I mean, certainly things have changed for both the better and the worse because of like technology and stuff like that. But at the same time, I think I was being, when we were writing that, a bit too harsh on it. I later thought to myself, you know, when when we were younger, everyone had just a different version of technology or mechanics, social avoidance. You know what I mean? It's, it's kind of like our mechanisms were different and we just had different tools but at the same time, there is something that's lost. There is kind of like uh, I was talking about this with Jack Kelly. That there, there's a certain experience that people aren't having when they're young anymore. But at the same time, you know, they have their own sets of problems and advantages. Absolutely,
3: uh, no. And, and honestly, I'm not. I'm not knocking technology either. Like I don't think either of us uh, were
1: knocking it. You're, yeah.
3: No, we, we definitely weren't. We were just relating to our our childhood experiences and growing up and being like, man, there used to be a time when you couldn't do this, and it just felt like in those moments, it felt like there was just more connection, but you know what, maybe in hindsight, this year has proven to be a real advancement in connection through technology because there's been restrictions on meeting up with people in person because of the pandemic. And it's a safety thing and and health related. And everyone understands, well, maybe not everybody, but we understand what's going on uh, and why, you know, the restrictions and such are in place. So, yeah, maybe through experiences in this year, technology has really proven to be something that that can help people stay connected and stay together. And yeah, it, it kind of puts a positive spin on maybe what we were saying, writing that song. And that's probably why we haven't recorded it to this point. And maybe it never will be. But it was just to have that experience and to share those moments and stuff. And that wasn't the only co-writing session we've done. Um, But it it was, I always look back and listen and be like, and that was just like a cool tune to write.
1: Yeah. I mean, it could still be a great song with a different topic or whatever. If the minds working on it, are you and I, then it'll still be a great song. Yeah. And
3: it's not done until it's done. Right. So who knows? It could change 10 times from now until then.
1: (laughs) Another observation that I'll throw in the pot about this year is certainly that I, I didn't invent this, but this year and the circumstances really hit home how the most special thing about special occasions is that you get to be around people. It's I don't think people on large by and large have have realized collectively that every special occasion in the West that we celebrate from the beginning of the year till Christmas, Valentine's Day, Halloween. Uh, Our birthdays um, and all this shit. Some people celebrated their decade this year. They turned 30 this year, 40. Their big milestone birthdays. And all these things that we think of, commercial or not, or whatever uh, we think they're about, what they were always about is getting together.
3: No, I I can share one with you. Sure. I was supposed to get married on July 10th. Oh, so weddings. You know what? weddings. (laughs) Weddings. Um, My fiance and I, we looked at this, you know, as soon as the pandemic started shutting things down in March, we had to cancel and reschedule our stag and dough and move it outside of, I think it was an eight week window originally. So then it was in May and we thought, ah, you know what? That's no big deal. Eight weeks will go by and we'll have the stag and dough. And and as things kind of inched closer and the shutdown persisted, we thought, okay, we'll reschedule and we reschedule it I think twice before canceling the, the stag and dough altogether. But by the time we canceled it, we also, it was, I think in April, um, we looked at the situation that was going on in the world. And we thought, even if we can have our wedding come July, we don't know if all of our guests can even make it because some were coming from the US or we don't know if all of our guests will want to make it. Because of everyone having a different feeling and different opinion on how the pandemic's going, which is totally understandable. When we were in April, we looked at each other and we said, "You know what? It's not happening this year. It's not happening the way we want it to happen, and it's not something that we need to rush. We want it like you know we we did want to get married this year, but we can postpone it and we can do it right next year. We hope. In May, our wedding venue called us. Because uh, they were kind of just going month, week by week, month by month to see how things are shaping up and then working individually with couples every week to reschedule or cancel or whatever changes they're making. So we heard from our wedding planner in May and she said, okay, we can't do your wedding this year, um, but we have some options. We could do it in October. We could do it next July and get the same weekend or we can cancel it please don't cancel. <laughs> and, uh, we really like her. And we said, no, we're not, we don't plan on canceling. We love your venue. We want to do it there. So let's go next July because we want to have a summer wedding um, just to have some nice weather and such a hope for nice weather. But uh, we we just didn't want to do it in October. And it's a good thing we picked that as of right now because October wasn't a great month to have a big celebration like that. You could still have a celebration with like 50 people or something, or maybe less like 25 people. Uh, But we were thinking of, uh, you know, inviting close to 200. We're at that uh, stage where it's booked for next year. And then we'll reevaluate what can happen next year as things progress. But here's the big takeaway from it. Through the personal development stuff that I've studied and I've been learning, there's a great Bob Proctor quote that really resonates with me, especially this year. The plan can change, the goal cannot. And I wrapped my head around that really quickly um, when the pandemic kind of shut things down because I had plans that all of a sudden I couldn't go through with in terms of recording and you know all sorts of things, music related. When it came to the wedding and I thought, you know what, the goal is to get married. That's our goal. That's not changing. We're gonna get married. But the way we wanted to do it doesn't look like it's gonna be able to happen this year. We talked and once we both kind of adapted to that idea, it was a really easy conversation to have with the wedding venue and say, Yeah, yeah, we're fine with next year because our goal is still to get married. The plan's changing, but so, it, you know, such is life. The only constant in life is change. It was a big celebration plan for this year, and it's just going to happen later. And,
1: you know, so, I feel like I could only offer something that's been said before, but celebrate each other all the time. And I'm sure you do. And we do. We actually, that's an important thing for this year too. Like
3: you said, you know, you told me that you loved me earlier in the conversation and I love you back. It's really about sharing those feelings out loud sometimes. Sometimes people just need to hear it or need to know it or need to feel it or whatever the case is, but it can never be shared too much. I guess there's, you know, you could say like, oh, you can have too much of a good thing, but really honestly, like sometimes that can just lift someone's day up, you know, lift them up for that day or a period where they need it kind of thing. So yeah, we are constantly always reaffirming, you know, that we love each other and we're excited to be together and we're grateful to be together. Gratitude is another huge one. Just being grateful for like, you know, waking up in the morning and being healthy. That's huge. I have both a goal writing journal that I write in almost daily and a gratitude's journal that I also write in almost daily. And I say almost because for this past week I've kind of fallen off right. track a bit. I had some other I had some other big projects on the go and and just like my focus was all on that. Even falling off of writing my goals down and stuff in my journal every day, I was still working towards my goals every day because they're so embedded in me. Like, this is what I need to do. This is what I need to do. I've actually, you know, in in small ways, I've achieved some of those goals. So I've done four grant writing applications in the past two and a half months, or I guess two months, really. I was just on a pace. I had to finish one. The deadline was on the 18th at 1 p.m. And I submitted it at like 10 a.m. that day but I worked on it and worked on it like crazy, you know? And so then I was letting some things slide like, ah, oh, you know what? I'll do my journal tomorrow. Ah, oh, you know what? I'll do this tomorrow. But I was hyper-focused on getting that grant done and I submitted it. So there, right. That was my, so there. you know, my so first, there, dude. my first success. Yeah. So there, my achievement of that goal was I got the application completed and submitted. Now I'm hoping that I get awarded the app, uh, the grant so that I can put the money into the music and the promotion and and things for next year. It is what it is. If I don't get it, then I continue doing what I'm doing. So if I do get it, it just gives me another tool to do more. But anyway, that was just, that's an example of me working towards uh, one of those thing goals in my journal. So yeah, it's not homework. Uh, It's just, it's one of those pieces of uh, (laughs)
2: life
3: work. No. And and honestly, it's not work at all. Really. It's just, it's, it's about, it's about setting your mind to focus in on the things that are important to you and that you really want because it's easy to fall off track
1: yeah it's not it's not about corporations man it's not about plastics it's not about carrots but if you like carrots that's fine uh (laughs) i'm just being an improv bad improv it's about
3: it's about fulfillment that's it man (laughs) it and at the end of the day, you know, when it's your time to go, whether you know that it could be any time in life, we don't know when when our time's up.
1: Were you doing the things that made you happy? I feel like this conversation is is never over with you because, like, our, our friendship goes on and on. But the show has to end. For, as far as the listeners benefit, a couple things I want to shout out to your family that I've gotten to know over the years. I haven't had as many conversations or whatever with with your sister Natalie, but she's always been been wonderful. You're, she, you're her brother. You know more than I do, more than anyone does. (laughs) Uh, I have had the fortune of having had lots of conversations with your mom, June. Wonderful, wonderful lady. You've been like a brother to me for most of my life. The one who goes back longer than anyone else has ever been on the podcast. Also, like the list of experiences that we've got to have together. Songwriting, live show adrenaline, sweating out of breath from singing to our own songs and other songs with them. high school craziness not knowing how to make yeah. heads or tails of, of life or how, how we want to go about making music we just know that there's there's this fire and passion and i i definitely can recall that as as much as you've evolved since high school i fondly remember seeing you on stage and just believing it you've always been convincing Uh, Even if you could look back and go like, well, you know, Close to Home was better than Klutz and and Breaching Vista is better. Yeah, because you're later in life. But you're a more evolved version of someone that I've always thought of as strong headed, not bullheaded, like strong minded. You know what I mean? Thank you so much. i i got nothing but good things to say about you and um obviously uh we we shouldn't go another eight or so months before we chat again it's a long it's been a long time it goes too long (laughs) it's it's just been a long time coming that 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 we've had a publicizable conversation yep you know this is the kind of conversation we have too i think that's very true
3: oh yeah and the thing is too and we're just hanging out uh we can chat for hours yeah. about all sorts of things. And, and, you know, and we get more in, in depth about each one of the songs we're working on and, and things like that. It, it's a lot of fun. We always just connect that way. Yeah. Uh, but no, Todd, I appreciate it, man. Um, thanks so much for having me. And thanks for the shout outs to my family. Uh, they've always been, you know, big supporters and fans of, of you and your music as well. And it's a shame that you live so far right now. Cause we can't just hang yeah. out. I mean, there's a pandemic and stuff. So that's a good excuse for this year. But uh, yeah, you're really like on the other side of the continent.
1: Yeah, looking forward into, uh, into the next year, as we see what happens with the delivery and hopefully successful implementation of vaccinations and such, uh, <laughs> I get yeah. to watch it all from the top of the world and be like, is it safe for me to come down yet? Okay.
3: Yeah, exactly. You stay off up my- there until we give you the green light.
1: <laughs> off of my icy throne, I go back down to the, the south good for you going up there.
3: And you know, you guys are starting a life together Well, you've already started. You've been up there for a while and and together for a while. hope Katie's doing well. Um, and yeah, I look forward to seeing you whenever you come back down
1: this way. Thanks brother. Thanks for doing this podcast.
3: No problem. Thanks for having me, man. And, and, you know, wanting to help share my story a bit too.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of the Todd Donald show. Starring, produced, and edited by Todd Donald. The piano music and the rap is by J.P. Sunga, who you can find at jpsunga.com. The theme music is Maki by William Chernoff. Find him at chernoff.band. And I'm Milo Axelrod, Todd's favorite bar none human voice. And I'm not bragging, he wrote this. If you'd like to hear more of my voice, check out my podcast, Describing a Rock in which I describe some rocks. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Please support The Todd Donald Show by sharing it with anyone who might enjoy it. Follow and interact with at ToddDonaldShow on Twitter and Instagram. And if you feel like going the extra mile on iTunes, please subscribe, rate, and review, preferably in its favor. Have a great day, friends.